John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 835.1C1311, certificate number 31932. Newton's Cradle. So Newton's Cradle, you probably don't know by its name, Newton's Cradle. You probably know it better as executive desk clacking ball game. Executive desk clacking ball game. Yes. That is what I would call it. Yeah. Executive desk clacking balls. Is Newton's Cradle like a real name or like some slick store trademark for executive clacking executive balls? Well, so it's unclear. The invention of executive desk clacking balls is sort of potentially lost to time. Obviously, it, it it's a, a thought experiment that proves Newton's theory of conservation of momentum. Right. Um, and you see something move and when it stops, something else has to move, keep moving in exactly the same yeah, way. It's a, the idea being that in most cases, when something collides into something else, it produces heat largely, unless you find a substance like hardened steel or whatever that can communicate. It doesn't produce as much heat. It just, it's elastic enough. The steel is to transmit the momentum sort of without creating without diminishing that power by burning off a lot of heat. Sure, it's an almost perfectly elastic collision, like two billiard balls hitting on a table or exactly something. Exactly, the can, same thing. It's like a thought experiment for the kind of physics problems you do in school, you know, where you ignore things like air resistance and friction. And it's like, what if these were just two metal balls flying through space? Right. Did Newton create the Newton's Cradle? If it's lost to time, maybe he did. It's unlikely that Newton made a Newton's Cradle. Um, because he wouldn't have called it that? He was too modest? <laughs> These fig cookies I have baked, I will not name after me, but after my scientific peer, Sir Robert Hooke. I am French, and I will call this bread <laughs> French bread. The thing about Newton, of course, that that we forget is he didn't live in a vacuum. He was a member of a of a scientific culture in his own time. He wasn't sitting in an apple orchard just waiting for things to fall. Right. He was he was a, a contemporary scientist expressing the mood of scientific thought in his era. And I'm not a, I'm not a Newton expert, but I like the fact that from what I remember, he's very much a generalist. You know, back then yeah. scientists just studied everything. They, they they didn't even call it science. It was just natural history, and you studied the world. Like I think Newton wrote about how the eye perceives color 
And we don't think of that as having anything to do with gravity or the laws of motion, but back then you just studied it all, man. Right, and Christian Huygens was a contemporary of his. Wait, who? Huygens. Huygens? Yeah, the G in Dutch would be a Christian. See, the tendency is to make the H a as well. Right, but it's I think the H is gone. Eugen. Oh, the H is silent? Eugens. Eugens. Anyway, we would say Christian Huygens or Huygens. Huygens. Who's Christian Huygens? Christian Huygens was a contemporary of, of Newton who was also doing that kind of generalist work, right? He was working on lenses and prisms, but also on pendulums. Ah, and, pendula. Uh, that's right, pendula. Is it, is it pendula? I don't even penduli? know. Penduli? That sounds, it starts to sound anatomical when you say... I've been studying pendula. Pendula. I've been pendula. on the internet all day looking at pendula. I think I think pendula. Pendulette? Like pendulette, one of the great... <laughs> he was uh, studying... Uh, he's one of the eternal critics. I think probably our futurelings will, uh, because of that weird like compression of time, they're going to think that pendulette and Christian Wagons were more or less contemporary. They were contemporaries. They, they hung out at the, at the coffee shops in London. <laughs> yeah, just like Beethoven and uh, Mozart were, you know... Lived right next door to one another. And they've probably never heard of Teller. His words did not survive. He did not. He was not known for his uh, vo- loquaciousness. I was going to say bodaciousness. He was bodacious. So uh, Huygens so, is so studying pendula. Huygens is, is writing about pendula and uh, a, a monk named Abbey Marriott in France was also, they were all contemporaries of one another and trading papers and citing one another. And all kind of playing around with the motion of pendula. Because it would have taken weeks to hear from your contemporaries in whatever, you know. I guess that's why Newton and Leipzig invented calculus at the same time. You know, they they were months away from hearing about each other in Vienna and I mean, I think that's, London. that still happens. You, you find all the time people winning Nobel Prizes and realizing that, oh, well, they're sharing in this prize with three other people who were also discovering the double helix at the same time in a lab just five states over. Yeah, like when the when the telephone was invented, it was like a race to the patent office, I think, because like two guys the same afternoon were like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll build a telephone. Like when the time is right for technology, it just appears. That's right. So, but I don't think any of them really built a uh, an executive clacking desk ball set. Um, the, the way that we know it as Newton's Cradle is it was actually sort of popularized by an English actor named Simon Preble. An actor? In the 1960s. He... He uh, became an actor, I think he may have been an actor at the time, but we know him as an actor now because having invented the Newton's Cradle, he was English and he had a, he made it out of wood and it was difficult to manufacture. Do they even work out of wood? You'd think that... This is the thing. Someone came along immediately after and built one in chrome and put Simon Preble out of business. Oh, man. Sold it to Harrods and it became a... He was making artisanal Newton's Cradles out of pure tropical hardwood. Simon Preble couldn't keep up with demand and he couldn't figure out a way to get them to the marketplace without getting their ropes all tangled up. Ah. So someone else came in, some, you know, a uh, thief and turned Newton's cradle into the, the enormously popular desk toy. It, it remains today. Well, it's true that I've bought one for my son and it does have to come even today in a very elaborate kind of styrofoam thing to keep the it will get screwed up from getting tangled instantly. If you try to put it in a box and move it somewhere, you'll spend the rest of your life untangling it. It's like a Rubik's cube. It's fun. But Simon Preble went on to become, I think a pretty well-known voice actor still alive, still 
doing voiceover work. Still terribly bitter. You might, and he, you know, he may be one of these guys that doesn't care. He's just like water under a bridge, like the woman that invented the fidget spinner. Oh, is this a real thing? The woman that invented the fidget spinner. We don't have to explain fidget spinners to the future because we know they are not a fad, but will be a permanent part of our cultural legacy. I'm almost certain that in the future, when water needs to be desalinated in order to be consumed, it will be done through the mechanical energetic work of what we learned a from a billion fidget spinners. That's often true. You know, that, um, some technology that eventually becomes very, uh, important to industry or whatever starts out as a toy. Yeah. Like the Greeks had a little steam engine, like this little thing that would, you know, puff out steam and that would make it spin. But they were never like, we should have a train. Let's build a big that one. Does this? Yeah, like let's build a big one that can like power a loom. Right. <laughs> like they were, they were just like, hey, they just gave it to their that. kids. Hey, uh, Demetrios, like play with your spinning thing. Yeah. Well, and think about it. electricity was invented just to electrocute elephants. Uh, <laughs> and Benjamin Franklin. And uh, and then it turned out, hey, let's make the telephone. People tried other large animals. They're like, you can electrocute anything with this. <laughs> it's great. Uh, the fidget spinner, the woman that invented the fidget spinner, did not think to patent it. Oh. And uh, in our time, the fidget spinner became one of those uh, point of purchase cash register phenomena where they've sold a billion of them now and they're manufactured everywhere, every single person everywhere. Every little crap company in the, in the world is making them. Here in the Omnibus Research Center, we're, we're spinning them right now. As we talk. And the woman that, that invented them, she just invented it as like a, you know, I need something to keep my hands busy. And someone else got a hold of it and took it to the marketplace. And she is surprisingly, astonishingly, not bitter. She's quoted routinely as saying, I'm just glad that people are finding happiness with my little toy. I am always suspicious of that sentiment wherever I read it. I know, it's you pretty know? incredible. Because it's, you know, there's there are self-serving reasons to, to sound like that, you know? Like, no, of course not. You know, you don't want to be the person that's bitter in every profile about you. Oh, no, that would be profile me. About you. In every profile, I'd be like, where's my money? I was spinning fidgets <laughs> weeks before anyone else was spinning I'm fidgets. Owed. <laughs> um, But the Newton's Cradle... It is a fantastic little demonstration of a principle of conservation of momentum or conservation of energy. It's eye-popping the first time you see one. It really is. It's pretty extraordinary. It looks like a special effect or something that's, yeah, what's the trick? Yeah, how right? is it doing it? Because the, and especially when you do the thing where you pull two back and you hit the three and then the one in the middle stays and so the other two go? Yeah. Or even or more so. The three. There you go. Now the, we're talking. The one in the middle just is just swinging it, freely. It goes both ways, to coin a phrase. Wow. Maybe that's why. The swinging 60s. That's why they called them that's that. That's why they didn't come out until the 1960s <laughs> when it was okay for somebody in the middle to go both ways. To swing both ways. But I, in my experience, I have found that they don't work as flawlessly as you would expect a computer simulation of them to do. Well, obviously they have like drag from the air and from... If they ran forever, they would be a perpetual motion machine and they would violate Newton's laws. It would be the anti-Newton's cradle. That's right. And Newton's I think... pissed off at this cradle. In a vacuum, right, they would, they would go much longer. Uh-huh. But still... It's not a pure conservation of momentum. Like some, some stuff gets lost to heat. There right? is heat happening and there is deformation happening. Ah. But if you buy a very good quality Newton's Cradle, you will find that it is exceptionally better at doing its thing than a cheap one. 
Do you have to go to one of those weird mall gadget stores? Do those still exist? Uh, like Sharper Image sharper or whatever. Image, uh, I, there's the one that sells the massage chairs and the little Brook, like, Brookstone Brookstone fans that plug into your phone and, and <laughs> right. you know. Things that you buy because you didn't know they existed. Yeah, or things that you buy because, oh boy, you need a birthday present really fast. Or you go in there to get a charger for your phone and you come out with a, a neck pillow that plays Mozart. Yeah, it's, it's just trading on people with poor impulse control, yeah. I guess. Well, and it's gadgety. It's like, if you go to the mall, there aren't, now that Radio Shack is gone, there aren't that many stores that just cater to dads. You know, like, there's so many stores that you can wander in and just find all the all the scarves in the world. But where are you going to go if you want something to put a battery into? It's a mom's world. It is a mom's world. And dads are just, they all get attracted to Brookstone because they're those big leather chairs that have multiple cup holders and you sit in them and then they start to fondle you. It's just like, oh. You know what it is? It's the equivalent of the ballroom in Ikea where you can leave your kids. Yep. It's like, come to the mall, leave your husband at the place with the weird leather massagers and that weird sticky sand. Mm-hmm. And then an hour later, they'll probably still be there. You know, like, nope. we'll and take care of your, of your husband. Maybe they'll have bought a $120 drone. <laughs> you know, if you want, if I wanted to buy a drone right now and couldn't find a hobby store, I would, I would go find a, one of those places, Brookstone. Cause I bet you they're selling drones by the shopping cart full. Is this the advertising portion? Are we, are we, I don't think we're going to get any money from them, but maybe what if Brookstone just starts sending us free uh, drones? Yeah. Free neck pillows. And, uh, oh. Can you imagine? What a great sponsorship that would be. It just flies through the window right now as we're talking. <laughs> Thank you, Colonel and John. <laughs> well, the Newton's Cradle I bought, um, I don't know if the strings are, you know, because you have to stick these piano wire strings into a metal ball somehow. Yeah. So I assume it's not an easy thing to do. And it just, it never quite had the, it didn't seem to be balanced right. Yep. And so it would it would run down very long and it would wobble quite a bit. And so the illusion of a row of things spitting off particles goes away Yeah, when the row is moving all around. Yeah, it really has to be, it either works or it doesn't work, right? The the shabby ones are a huge disappointment because it, you want it to have a military precision. Like when a- when Clack, it, clack. Right, it has clack in the name. It does. Well, I want in it, one of the names. <laughs> one of the more accurate names. <laughs> Clacking balls. You want it to clack. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout i bought a set at a thrift store i've only owned one set and it was a very high quality set that had become entangled or was had been misused in some way enough that a person said well, this is no good anymore and took it to the thrift store i bought it aspirationally thinking i can repair a broken newton's cradle i mean my entire house is full of things that i 
that I bought thinking, all this needs is a button. Yeah, your decor is kind of misplaced confidence. <laughs> that's, that's the look of your, yeah. of your house. And so I worked on this Newton's Cradle to calibrate it, to get it back to where it was perfect. Right. But it's such a delicate... Everything you do throws off something you did five minutes ago. Some other thing. And, and I eventually could not get it back together, but also the balls, the steel balls, Newton's balls, we call them balls (laughs) were like really gratifyingly heavy, uh, metal that I snipped the, the balls off. You snipped off Newton's balls, snipped off Newton's balls. And I have them all still just not suspended and they don't clack. They just sit in in one of the, in the downstairs bathroom. Now they're like the ones in the X Men movie where, uh, like, M- Magneto has an executive. Do you remember this? He's got an executive ball clacker, but confusingly, it's he didn't actually buy one. He's just has some random steel balls that he is just making move in imitation with his with his mind su- rays. with his mutant powers. So presumably, he walks in the room and is like, "Well, better get that going." And he just has to consciously make an executive ball clacker keep clacking all the time, which is. The worst use of his superpower, I think. Well, you wonder if it... This if, guy survived the Holocaust and he, you know, he's got a lot of anger and he channels it into desk toys. It might be the same way that I, that I like to play Minesweeper when I'm talking on the phone. Uh, it might just be a thing like some tiny part of his brain gets occupied with it and it allows him to interact with normals. He has a mutant ability to multitask. Because it's just like, oh, you're right. And I've got to keep that thing going. It's, you know, it just is a... It occupies, maybe it occupies the part of him that's pure evil. Nervous energy. It's it's a fidget spinner for supervillains. But you wonder whether he's actually, he has to actually d- manipulate all five right. balls or whether right. What's he's he moving there or wh- whether he's suspending the balls. And then within that suspension, he starts the momentum, but all he's really doing is keeping the whole thing aloft somehow. Yeah, I guess he could create some central magnetic field that mimics the string. Right. So maybe he's not physically moving each ball. He just kind of gets it going. And then, yeah, his power is just to create the vacuum uh, and the magnetic. When he leaves the room, it falls. That's that's yeah. all, you know, it, the canon, that's all we know about how this thing works is that it, it does require constant attention. The thing is that as, a, as an, uh, an aspiring supervillain, I recognize that when you enter a room, you need a theme. And when you leave a room, something dramatic should happen. Like the lights should go off. Your Newton's ball should fall to the ground. Like there should be some, it should be like Elvis has left the building, but like evil supervillain is gone and now the room gets really cold. But I'm a little annoyed that he chose such a low rent one, you know, something that an, uh, you know, a middle manager from 1976 might've owned. Really? That's, that's the look you're going for. Well, so this is, you get onto a, a key point of the elect, uh, the Newton's ball clacker. Yeah. It's a lifestyle thing, not just a physics thing. It became at a point in our lives early on in the, in the late seventies and eighties, a kind of, um, foghorn of a certain sort of jerk business person. <laughs> it's a jerk foghorn, right? It just... <laughs> it's called the Newton's cradle, the ball clacker or the jerk foghorn. It sits on the desk and it's meant to communicate that the, I suck. Every time it clacks, it says, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. But it says, like, I'm interested in physics. I'm smart. I am rich enough to have this toy. I knew about this before you did. And it's also pretty intimidating. It's, like, loud. 
It sits. It and is loud. Goes clack clack clack. Hey, I need clack. to get some work done. Let me start this super <laughs> annoying thing where like smooth metal objects clap together. Like it feels like the type of thing that you have on your desk when you're having a meeting with somebody where you're going over their performance review and you start the the Newton's balls without without looking away from the person. You never break eye contact. You're just like clack. clack power clack. move. It's a total. It's like a power tie. Uh, and then the other person's like trying to defend their performance and you're just nodding, but your metal balls are just clack, clack, clack. Well, plus it, your, your balls are swinging. You are putting, ba- mm. you know, it's a power, t- it's a power move that you are demonstrating by sw- literally swinging your balls swinging in front of your brass balls, except they're not brass. They're steel, steel balls. I was thinking that Simon Preble's loss is our gain because, uh, you know, the fact that they are made of a shiny silvery metal. I don't know what they're made out of now. Is it chrome? Ste- it should be steel, steel? chrome. Yeah. Uh, you know, that is very much of that time, right? Like, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a nice looking uh, Simon Preble's wooden balls thing. This is the future you're right, seeing here, the you know? stainless steel it's of like, the go-go 80s. Look at this clean international style thing I have clanking away out of pitiless metal. It's the, it's the, <laughs> it's the same machine that my corporate you know, apparatus is created to chew people like you up. Clack, 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 yeah, clack. Yeah, it really does. It's, it became emblematic of a kind of 80s greed. Like those guys all have these, but it does really look good in a uh, Miami Vice context or a Gordon Gecko context. It's the only place where like Patrick Bateman and like Mr. Wizard overlap. It's the only place in, <laughs> in that Venn diagram of like evil 80s cocaine guy and like chemistry lab nerd. Because <laughs> it wouldn't fit on, a, on the desk of a Tweety academic because it's just a little bit too abrasive. It's too silver, yeah. But it is actually part of a, of a tradition an American tradition that started with the mechanical bank, which was popular in the early 20th century. What's a mechanical bank? Well, it's like a little sort of piggy bank, uh, and they were made in a variety. Any uh, Anybody who watches Antique Roadshow and any futureling who has the collected Antiques Roadshow on VHS cassette. Or imprinted into the implant in the base of your neck. Surely, if you wanted to learn about the 20th and 21st centuries, Antiques Roadshow would be personally where I would start. Do you feel like it's an accurate survey of what, uh, what was important? Well, it is its own omnibus of what uh, of ephemera people once thought was important that probably didn't make it through. And one of those things is the mechanical bank. I just want to be clear on this. We're assembling this reference work only for people who can't get Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> it's a nice, compa- it's a desktop companion piece to the Antiques Roadshow. Gotcha. The mechanical bank, you know, some of them go back uh, a few hundred years. And it's a, it's a piggy bank where you put a quarter in Uncle Sam's hand and then the hand ka-chang puts it back into the hole and and you know a little car that it's some kind of little mechanical device that inserting a coin into it makes it perform its little mechanical function to deposit the coin into itself the victorians loved these little clockwork things right but i think often maybe you had to go to a place that had them like you, you go to an arcade of these so maybe the idea that you have one of these on your desk is like Ooh, fancy. It's like having a home theater. You yeah, know? Like right. I, I have the popular entertainment of the period, but I have my very own here. <laughs> and it would be, be a thing that you would sit and, and uh, marvel at, marvel at the technology. How does this automaton know to put the coin into his hat? My, and it's, you know, it's made out of like cast iron. And this was because there was, this was literally the peak of technology. You know, mm-hmm. nobody had a, a Texas Instruments calculator to marvel at when this started. <laughs> Although, boy, I remember marveling at a Texas Instruments calculator. 
I liked the, the ladding machines where you you know the paper would come out of the top, you know, because that had the little mechanical clacking ball thrill plus the the digital era thing. And it produced paper, which everyone loves. Actual paper. But then the next big fad was the drinking bird. Drinking bird predates Newton's cradle, huh? Drinking bird predates Newton's cradle. Drinking bird is early twentieth century, nineteen ten or so. The little bird it with a to- wearing a top hat. He's always red. Red for and some reason. He dips his beak into some liquid and then pops back up, and then gradually his beak goes down and pops back up, and it lasts forever. I have a confession that I don't really know how this works. Is the liquid important? Does it not work if the if it doesn't? Yeah, it's get its, um, get its beak wet, or is it just pretending to drink because that's funny? Do you put the glass there because that explains why your friend is bobbing? So it works as a kind of a heat engine. Um, when the bird dips its beak in water, the head of the bird of drinking bird is covered with felt. And so it dips its little beak in and that soaks water into the felt. The felt gets wet. And then the water evaporates. And as it evaporates, it cools. And as it cools, the vapor inside the head, the the pressure goes down. Oh, there's something inside the head. Well, it's got, within the bird, there is a kind of... It's kind of, it's a glass barbell thing. Yeah, and there's a sort of vapor, sort of a a condensate. I guess I didn't realize that. In there, it's not just empty. It's got material in there that is a kind of gas, or something that is both gas and liquid at room temperature, or near room temperature. And then the heavier weight of the tail, the heavy pressure in the tail that is warmer uh, causes the butt to go down and the head pops up. And then as the vapor goes up into the head, again, the head becomes heavy Repeat. and drops down and gets wet and et cetera. So it's a little heat exchanger. It seems like a very complicated thing to invent considering what you get out of it, which is nothing. Well, it's a little uh, bird. It absolutely has to be an example of a thing that somebody was goofing around with and just experimenting with that I bet the material. light bulb turned on when he made the hat. He's <laughs> like, was like, how do I make this look more like a bird? <gasps> Put a top hat on it. <laughs> that, that thing we all associate <laughs> with drinking birds, a top hat. <laughs> But yeah, he probably, whoever the inventor was, he or she probably put wings on it at first and then realized, oh, it's the wings affect the, yeah, the performance of the, of the thing. Right. It won't actually work with wings. Let's try, let's do some other bird things. Like let's put little feet on it. No, but a top hat. Perfect. And now we live in a world where we assume all drinking birds have top hats sure. because of this. Sure. And I'm sure in the future they, they will evolve top hats because that's how evolution works. Sure. All those man-animal hybrids in your, in your future that we're talking to you now, a lot of them probably wear top hats and don't even know where it started. Well, and they're thinking to themselves, what's a top hat? Because they don't even see the top hat. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're also enlightened. They don't even see headwear at this point. But so the drinking bird was a popular little goofus of the same style. And then along came Newton's cradle. But Newton's cradle caused an explosion in the executive desk toy universe. It it sells so much that people want to make copycat kind of motion things. And because novelty is very important in this field, I assume. Once you've watched a Newton's cradle for a few days, it, it has few surprises to reveal to you. Right. But what it does is it, Newton's cradle suggests one question, which is why? Here it is. It's clack, 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 clack. Why? What? Why? And Justify the, yourself. Right. And the answer is uh, from the executive desk ball clacker set, 
is always something to do with, well, I'm a creative person. I need this sort of fascination, right? This thing that sets me apart from just your average worker. Uh, this is a, um, a meditative or otherwise sort of uh, creative little toy that, that does nothing. And in so doing, it enables me to get outside of my normal thinking and get into my creative like warm space or however it is that, that the owner of a thing like this could justify like, no, 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 this is important. This is, this isn't just a toy. This is a, it's an extension of me. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully there's musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start but let me ask you this uh possible outlier here the lava lamp it's a similar kind of thing it's powered by kind of repetition mm -hmm. and kind of a dreamy nature you can lose yourself in also a heat exchanger Oh yeah, it's a it's a it's a similar mechanism. It's a drinking bird of its of a different sort. It's a drinking bird for for hippies, for mm -hmm. dirty hippies. Mm -hmm. But that raises an interesting question to me: How come we have some of these that are for achievers, these stainless steel '80s creeps, and yet the lava lamp is also just some kind of like, hey, watch this dumb thing go? But it's more like a man, look at the colors. It's more like an empty your mind, I do nothing kind of experience. Yeah, I feel like it's down to the design of the container. It's all I mean, the aesthetic. La the lava lamp is so I dream of genie looking, you know, it looks like a magic lantern. Ah, it's, it's an antique. Yeah. It's like, ooh, and, and it was, it could easily be an executive desk accessory. It's based on a lot of the same principles of equilibrium. Like yep. if you have a light bulb, that's a little too hot or a little too cool. As I have found trying to replace my kids, damn lava lamp bulbs, yeah. it will either get too liquidy and everything goes to the top right. or the stuff will not, the wax will not quite heat enough and it'll just be a plug at the bottom. I had a big lava lamp for a long time that came with a light bulb that was two watts too hot. And it was so dissatisfying because you turn the lava lamp on and for a while it would just sit there and then pretty soon it would start to move and you'd be like, here we go, baby. Yeah, baby. And then all of a sudden it would just be a bunch of blobs sitting up at the top, floating up, up at the top. And every once in a while something would drop down and immediately pop back up. I was like, ugh, I hated it. I was so angry. I have a theory that big lava lamp requires some non-standard wattage just yeah. so you have to buy their stupid bulbs and you can't just put in a some kind of bulb from your deck. Oh, but this is how it came from the factory. But there are lava lamp-like desk accessories that do similar things, although not with heat. Yes. I have a bubbly one. Right. Uh, what does your bubbly one do? I, um, I can't really say I turn it upside down 
and little bubbles of one color march through a little maze up to the top. It's right. like two two immiscible fluids, like they have different densities, so the right. the clear and the green never interact or whatever. Yeah, but they but they do little strange yeah. shapes as they move past each other. And then because... the bubble all goes to the top, and then you flip it over. It's just a lava lamp, but it's a more orderly. It's an OCD lava lamp. Basically. Yeah, and they're close enough in viscosity that it's not just that they they switch places that they take their little time to kind of like interact with each other as they go through. Yeah, bloop, bloop, And bloop. there are other ones like that. There's the uh, the deep sea sand art, which was invented by a guy named Klaus Bosch or Bosch. It's, I can't picture this. It's it's not liquid, it's sand-based? It's Well, there's liquid in it, but there are multiple colors and types of sand. And it comes in a, in a, a circular frame. Oh. And you turn it upside down and the sand kind of percolates down both through the other sand and then through this liquid. And it creates kind of either dunes or mountains of different striations of color and texture. It just occurred to me that all these things are just snow globes with a better effects budget. They are precisely snow globes. They're doing exactly the same thing. If you think of Citizen Kane, with his uh, with his snow globe there at the end, thinking about his lost youth, and I assume snow globes were executive choice because they're paperweights often. Right. So those were often the same kind of a thing, right? I guess you get bored, you shake up your thing and watch it snow on uh, Big Ben or whatever. So paperweights were were a conversation piece that sat on an executive's desk, so a little bug in amber or some other kind of souvenir from the Chicago World's Fair. And it's always World's Fairs, man. Right, they you, you just get, keep coming. You get back beyond the 70s and it's always a World's Fair. And a, and a snow globe will have, it isn't suspended in water. It's usually suspended in oil, something that will take a little bit longer for those flakes. Oh, to, is that right? Yeah, if you break any of these things open, you find that it isn't water as often as it is alcohol or oil or something like that, some other medium. It breaks in Citizen Kane, but he does not live to see it. He doesn't He dies not knowing what liquid was in his... Maybe it was maybe it was alcohol. You could have been using it for a flask for years. I mean, for all you know, it could have been uh, radioactive isotopes. I uh, when I die, my plan is to smash a sled and say the name of my childhood snow globe. <laughs> I'll be like snow globe, snow globe. and everyone will be like, "What did he mean by snow globe?" Yeah, well, and then futurelings will uh, use snow globe as like a, a way of communicating. Sure, it'll become lost hello. childhood. Yeah, <laughs> lost childhood. <laughs> yeah, it was the whole snow globe thing, yeah, man. The same way that we say rosebud. There'll be called bands called snow globe, and uh... <laughs> but so then throughout the eighties, it was a popular. It was a whole genre of commercial product. The little gadget meant to do nothing but sit on a um, executive's desk, like the. Like all the little magnetic, there was a period there where there was a magnetic base and a bunch of metal bits, like sometimes shaped like a frog. Oh, the little filings? The little filings. And you get them to do like spiky. Uh, yeah, you kind of manipulate them like magnetic sand. That's what Magne- Magneto should be doing. Like he right. should have some of that and be doing, you know, topiary in the air. And he's not, he's, he's using a... Clacker. He's using on a ninth grade physics teacher's set. Because the because the the writers of the film are like, oh, he's really bad, like Gordon Gecko. And it's like, that's not bad. <laughs> that's, that's the worst supervillain you could think yeah, of. Gordon Gecko, you should make it's him a, have a whole wall of knives that are like moving too fast for the eye to really perceive, like a like a right. curtain. You of walk knives. into his office and he's looking at your resume and the knives are just circling your right, head. Right, right. Like machetes and chainsaws just flying around you too fast to see. To me, that's a little scarier. That would be super messed up. And if we were writing for Marvel, well. 
It's the first X-Men movie where they had a very limited budget. Clack, 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 clack. Like that's, that's all they had. That's not as good. My dad loved these things, but he didn't, like in most cases, my dad didn't buy expensive ones. When, when they disseminated down to the Radio Shack, that was where my dad was like, hey, look at that. That's a little skier. I'm going to get it. And so we had a ton of these things, little, um, a little chrome skier on a chrome tower, and you would set him rocking, and he had, he had counterweights on his ski poles, so he would just sit and rock. The center of gravity is somewhere weird. So Some it, little center of gravity game, like yeah. that, like the little flying bird that will balance on your fingertip on yes, its beak. Exactly. Little little balancey toys, little magnetic sculptures. Um, These things are, I'll say it, not fun. Not fun. Like the thing about toys, the thing about a truly great toy is you just play with it for hours. You know the. There's no limit of things you can do with a set of Legos or a, you know, a, even Tinker a stick. Toy. You know, right. my kids can play with sticks forever. I'm playing with a stick right now. These, <laughs> you're, you're carving the duck. But these things are, they do one thing by definition. They do one thing over and over. And it's kind of a racket because in the store, you're like, sweet, look at that one thing it does. Yeah. And then you, you give the guy your money and you take it home and you realize, yeah, that's fun for maybe 20 minutes. What's cool about them is that they all, most of them are not battery powered and they aren't meant to keep going. So if you set your desk clackers a clacking and then lean back in your chair and stare up at the wall and think deep thoughts about, about product, eventually those clackers are going to slow and stop clacking. Ah, uh, it's a timer. Yeah. And if you- It's an or, egg timer for your creativity. It is. It's a, the little- Gravity games. I mean, the the uh, the head bobbin bird, drinking bird will keep going for a long time. It has to run out of water, essentially, right? Yeah. That's the limiting factor there. Like, yeah, as long as it has something to evaporate, it'll just keep on plugging. Maybe not infinitely, but again, that would violate Newton's law. Yeah, your little drinking bird will go, and the and little solar powered ones. As long as the sun is shining on them, they'll keep spinning. But most of these gravity ones are meant to just kind of peter out. And so I think their benefit as a desk um, mesmerizer is as a reminder of our temporal status. That's right. We are all in decay constantly, just like the energy that I put into this little game. I too am decaying slowly and going silent. Death comes to us all in the form of entropy. But then, you know, you're working on something, you're taking some calls and then you get done. You've got to think some more about, you know, about product or brand and you look over and you go, Oh, that's right. I've got that little thing on my desk and you hit it and it goes clack, 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 clack. And it does it again. You know, that's kind of the, I think somehow in the nature of the purpose of the thing. We like repetition as a people. There actually is a version of this that is your Greek steam engine. You can buy a little steam engine that sits on top of a candle and you light the candle, sits on your desk, the candle heats up the boiler and pretty soon this little steam motor starts to starts to work. That's that's the thing that started the industrial revolution. And it just sits on your desk and like choo choos away. Like it took millennia, but we finally invented massive factories based on that principle. And now we use those factories to produce that very thing. So there are a couple of these that are more practical. And one of them I constructed as a kid with my dad, which is the perpetual motion ball clock. You can still find these out there. It's made of plastic. It's not exactly 
durable, but it tells time by every minute releasing one chrome ball bearing down into a kind of, um, it's one of these shoots. Like it's a, yeah. Like does it play powerhouse? (laughs) It's not quite a Rube Goldberg machine, but it does send a, a ball bearing down a shoot. It, clanks down, goes down another chute, clanks. Right. And then there's a, some kind of pendulum that it, or it rolls out and then it drops down to another thing. And each one of those signifies a minute. And we had one of these in our house. So every minute of a day, you heard this ball bearing go clank, roll, 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 clank, roll, 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 clank. That was a minute. And then at the hour, all of the stored up ball bearings would all release. And then it would start over. Clack. How would it start over? Was it powered to get the stuff back to the so top? So there was a, it was, it was electrical and there was a kind of, uh, like a slow moving little conveyor that would. Uh, some little take, elevator gets them back up. Take a ball up one, one minute at a time. So that was a, an executive desk toy that my dad came upon at some point, had me assemble. I loved it. If I, were an office person and it sat on my desk and did that all day, that would be a real power move in terms of communicating to my office mates that I, I did not care about them. You are not people to me. Right. You have no inner soul. Right. How do you like this every minute? Clack. Because you're the only person who's immune to it. You got used right. to it. Right. It's, it's inaudible to you. Although in my house as a kid, this thing went 24 hours, right? So in the middle of the night, every hour on the hour, this thing would dump 60 ball bearings down a chute. <laughs> and you, your mind does get used to it. Yeah, you just slept right through it, I bet. But it was the sound of nighttime at my dad's house. Ah, it's, it's even soothing to you. Yeah. I, I, when I saw a picture of one of these recently, it all came flooding back. I hadn't thought of it in 30 years. But it all came back, the sound of it, the weight of it, the, the feeling in my dad's house at night. So it's a real signifier of, of childhood to you. Yeah. And it was one of these jerk devices, but it wasn't in an office for whatever reason it was in our living room. And it, it was just, de-jerkified. And it conveyed a certain amount of love of science or, um, three, two, one contact. You know, <laughs> it was a device that seemed like something that could be a thousand years old. If only it could be 2000, if only the Greeks had known to put a candle under their steam engine to raise a ball bearing up and run it down a chute, they could have had clocks too. And that concludes Newton's Cradle, entry number 835.1C1311 in the omnibus. In the unlikely event that futurelings, you're still living in an area where social media exists, and I don't see how that's possible, but you should know that in our time at least, It was a huge annoyance and a time waster. Super the worst. And John and I took full advantage. Mm -hmm. Our project tweeted at at Omnibus Project. Individually, our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on Twitter. John was also at John Roderick on Instagram. We even used email at our address, theomnibuspodcast at gmail.com. We didn't encourage it, it, but it was there. Future links from where we sit... It's impossible for us to know whether the earth-cleansing cataclysm comes 100 years from now or tomorrow or later today. Although today's a pretty nice sunny day. I hope it doesn't come now. It's a constant entropy of the universe, man. That's right. Those ball clocks remind us it could be any time. On the one hand, we hope that the great cataclysm never comes. But on the other hand, we are 
by our very nature, human beings. And so like all human beings, we kind of secretly relish the idea of everyone being wiped off the face of the earth. Well, whether it comes tomorrow or never, we cannot know for certain whether this will just be one entry in the omnibus or whether it will be our final entry. But if Providence allows, we hope to rejoin you again next week on the omnibus.